Our gospel this morning is Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 20, and can be found on page 1526 in your pew Bible. Matthew records, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hill and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, because nothing good comes from any other source. The gospel that um, we just heard from Matthew 18 is very rich in a wide variety of, of topics. It's the serious nature of sin, the generosity of God's forgiveness, the love that God has for his little ones, and the serious consequences of leading his little ones astray. And of all these topics, the one topic that seems to underlie most of the Lord's teaching in Matthew 18 is the topic of Christ's little ones. Matthew 18 begins with one of those teachable moments in which the disciples, they plant their feet firmly in their mouths as they ask Jesus a question. At that time, we read, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, this, this question tells us that the disciples just don't get it. They are still trying to figure out which post that they are going to hold or have in Jesus' cabinet once he takes over. And Jesus' teaching diffuses this kind of thinking. And calling to him, we read, he put, in him, put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You notice that Jesus didn't choose one of his disciples. He chose a child. Here Jesus teaches that the one who is humble like a child is the greatest in the kingdom. And as we proceed through the rest of Matthew 18, Jesus expands on his teaching about children. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned 
in the depth of the sea. This is pretty serious. The type of millstone that Jesus is describing here, this millstone required a donkey to make it move. It had to weigh at least a ton. And Jesus said, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And even as Jesus tells the story of searching for the one lost sheep out of 100, he tells us, So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. When Jesus talks of little ones, he is, of course, talking about those who are biologically young, children. But even so, we can also apply that Jesus says that he's talking about those that are young in the faith. That is, new believers, no matter what their age. And God has always given a high priority to learning his word and in passing that word on to the next generation. And in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, we read, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you drive in your car. No, I didn't say that. But And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. And then again in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from you from it. And again, Matthew, verse 20, or chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what value did the early church place on the teaching of things of God? In Acts 20, we have an example of a church service that lasted from sundown to daybreak. And of course, the Apostle Paul was the preacher. And even so, this indicates the hunger that the people had for, for God's Word. Now, I've had an opportunity over the years to speak with pastors and professors who had experiences with mission, missionary work throughout various countries. And there was a young man that I uh, knew who 
had told me of some time that he spent in Malawi. It was a short mission trip that he had taken while he was enrolled at Concordia down in Irvine. And he told me that the passion the people had for pursuing a relationship expressed, expressed itself as a hunger for God's Word. Well, how was it expressed? We said the study of God's Word was a daily discipline at school and in the home. And what was most shocking to me was that Sunday services were not an hour and 15 minutes. Nope, the Sunday services lasted all day on Sunday in Malawi. That's remarkable. And so today we're going to do that. Uh, you know I'm teasing. Let me ask you this. How long was your catechesis when you went through confirmation? How long was it? I see three. I see three. Very good. When I was thinking about this, I said I was going to say one year. No, nobody here did one year. You guys have been around for a while. Probably not two years. Maybe some people had two years. But for the most part, it was three years or more. So why did things change? There was a time... There was a time when Lutheran pastors would be admonished for preaching less than an hour. And when I was first starting, prior to my call here at Reformation, I was admonished by a congregant for a proclamation that was 28 minutes and 39 seconds long. It was fully... Eight minutes and 39 seconds too long. Yes, he timed it. Much has changed. Much has changed from those days. In modern times, often we hear that practices, games of football, volleyball, track, baseball, or some other sports compete for the time spent in the Word. At my church prior to coming here, parents had actually told me that they could not come to church because they could not get their child to practice on time if they went to church first. And this is a problem that is throughout this nation. People claim to be Christians, but few attend a church service regularly, and even a much smaller group attends a Bible class regularly. So what are the results of starving the soul this way? Well, the Barna Research Group, they collect statistics on religious trends around the world. And if you want to know what I think about statistics, we'll do it in the privacy of my office, but Mark Twain had an idea on statistics. But this is worthy of sharing right now. At Barna Research, they say that half of all Americans, about 52%, 
now believe that Jesus sinned during his life here on earth. Further, 56% of Americans believe that Satan is real. However, in the same survey, 49% were not entirely sure that God exists. Three-quarters of Americans believe that salvation depends to some degree on a person's own good works and not entirely on the grace of God. Now, David Kinneman, who is a majority owner of Barna Group, he wrote this. This is a quote from him. Most Americans do not have a strong and clear belief, largely because they do not possess a coherent biblical worldview. That is, that they lack a consistent and holistic understanding of their faith. Millions of Americans say that they are personally committed to Jesus Christ, but they believe he sinned while on earth. Many believers claim to trust that what the Bible teaches, and they reject the notion of a real spiritual adversary, or they feel that faith-sharing activities are optional. Millions feel personally committed to God, but they are renegotiating the definition of that deity. In fact, for some reason, or one reason why beliefs fluctuate is that most Americans hold few convictions about their faith. For instance, even among those who disagree with orthodox views, many do so while hedging their bets. Most Americans have one foot in the biblical camp and one foot outside it. They say they are committed but to what? They are spiritually active, but to what end? The spiritual profile of American Christianity, he concludes, is not unlike a lukewarm church, the church of Laodicea, that the Bible warns about. Well, we the church must confess that we are lukewarm. We do not study God's word as we should. We have not confessed our faith to our children. We have not seen to it that, our, that we or our children get the daily requirement of God's word. You know, actions speak louder than words. And with our actions, we have taught our children that God gets our leftover time instead of the first fruits of our day. We have led Christ's little ones astray, and we deserve worse than drowning in the deepest sea with a millstone around our neck. Between our poor confession and our non-existent example, is it any wonder 
Is it any wonder that our kids sometimes tell us that God is not that important to them? Is it any wonder that recent generations search for a church based on the entertainment value of the music instead of the church's faithfulness to Christ Jesus and him crucified? Is it any wonder that when our children get jobs in other towns, they don't bother to become members of a local church? Is it any wonder that children get confirmed and we never hear from them again? We all deserve eternal punishment for the way that we have not passed our faith onto the next generation. What is to become of us? Well, thanks be to God and the Lord Jesus Christ who invites us to become like little ones ourselves. Jesus does not let us drown with a millstone around our necks. Instead, he invites us to trust in him the way that little ones trust their beloved parents. He invites us to relax in him and to let him take the millstone onto himself. He reminds us to look at the cross and to see not only the millstone that we each deserve, but also the punishment for all our sins as well. He invites us to see that he is the Christ, the one who takes away our sin. And indeed, he is the Christ who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ comes to us as the one who suffered and who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. He comes to us in his word. He also comes to us in the sacrament as he himself gives us his own body and blood in and with the bread and the wine. We are his little ones. We are, you are, his precious little children. He has so much to share for us and share with us. He has so many gifts that he longs to give to us while we are alive here on this earth. And through his word, he continues to offer these gifts to us and to our children. He is ever ready to care for his little ones, both, both the young and the old. In the name of Jesus, amen.